podcast where liberty is our mission today is friday july 25th 2013 this is podcast number 334 and my name is ben stone uh, before i get to today's interview i wanted to tell you again about the bad quaker t-shirts and stickers that are available you can just go to badquaker.com uh, look on the upper right hand side right underneath the uh, pictures of all the old guys you'll see a link there to buy uh, bad quaker stuff hit that link um, that'll take you to a Bad Quaker page with another link that says uh, you can, you know, click here to buy T-shirts and stickers. Follow that link. It'll take you over to Survival Gear Bags. Our friends uh, over at Survival Gear Bags have set up uh, everything that it takes to buy um, Bad Quaker T-shirts and stickers. We hope to have buttons eventually. Uh, we can probably do those right off the main Bad Quaker site. We don't have to bother Kelly with it. But uh, we appreciate Kelly and all the folks over there at, at Survival Gear Bags for all the work they've done in setting this uh, the store up and everything. And if you want a Bad Quaker t-shirt, the design is really cool. You can get them right there. Um, the other thing I wanted to update you with is we're still working with the... Uh, we're still working with whether or not we're going with a high uh, bandwidth or low bandwidth or both. To today's version, there will probably be both a high bandwidth and a low bandwidth version. We are uh, looking at the feedback. We're, uh, you know, uh, talking about it. We do appreciate the, the different uh, communications in, in regards to that. And hopefully we'll figure out something in the near future and we'll stick with it as our standard. And the last thing that I wanted to mention today was the secure telephones that I've been talking about. Uh, listen during the commercial break today and you'll hear the commercial for these secure telephones. And I have to tell you, you know, having uh, having had one in my hands now for about a little more than a month, I am really impressed with it. It's really cool. Plus, it's got all kinds of neat features that all these, you know, modern f telephones have that uh, that I've never had on a telephone before because I usually stay with the with the basics. But uh, but this thing's pretty cool. Anyway, listen for the commercial during the commercial break, and there's information on these secure telephones. Okay, without anything further, here's my interview with uh, activist extraordinaire Eddie Free and a real good friend of uh, mine and a friend of my wife. Uh, we really like Eddie. He's uh, a real joy to be around, and I was really happy to get to interview him. And the, and the topic uh, that you're going to hear about, about food and you know farming and these kind of things, is really important. So give a listen to Eddie Free. Thanks a lot, folks. And Ben Stone with BadQuaker.com, back with uh, Eddie Free, um, good friend, Eddie Free, uh, one of the mo more famous activists in the movement. And Eddie, welcome back to Bad Quaker Podcast. It was great to see you up at, at Porkfest. We had a lot of fun with you hanging around the campground. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, I had a blast up there. It was great seeing you guys. Yeah, and uh, my wife finally got to meet you. She really, uh, she really enjoyed that. 
That was great. I, you know, I, I guess it was every other morning I, I would uh, go. You know, you were you're always an early riser, so uh, every morning I'd come up there, and, and Cindy would uh, uh, put on a cup of coffee, and we'd chat for a little while, and uh, and then go off and do what we needed to do for the day. Yeah, that was, and we might want to mention what you were doing. You were you had uh, like real premium grass fed top notch meat. And you were cooking steaks for folks and uh, and selling them, right? I was. Yeah, I, I get uh, this amazing food with this private buying club that I'm with. And man, I just through the through the months before um, Porcupine Festival, I you know I just found myself really stocking up on some really uh, some really good steaks, grass fed, um, uh, organic uh, uh, steaks. I, I was selling. Um, Wagyu and uh, New York strips, and uh, it was Black Angus uh, New York strips, and then some Wagyu. Um, yeah, man, and it's you know I didn't really make a lot of money, but uh, I enjoyed it, and I and I introduced a new element to Pork Fest. Uh, you know that's never really been done before. Um, uh, such fine dining <laughs> at Porcupine Festival while a bunch of anarchists are out there camping in the woods. And it kind of was, you know, the Porcupine Festival version of fine dining. You had, like, the picnic table was set up with a tablecloth, and you had a bottle of wine there, and you had, like, <laughs> yeah. all the – it was a, a whole layout. It was, you know, not just yeah. selling meat. It was a whole layout there for a dinner. Very high yeah, quality. Yeah, I, I didn't really – you know, I didn't even come up with it until just, you know, I guess really just a few days um, before before the festival started. Maybe it was a week or so, but – uh, and a lot of people really enjoyed it. I, I had some really kind messages too from some folks on Facebook, um, some folks that didn't even attend that were that were uh, that had said that you know that was really inspiring doing something like that. So um, and it was great, I, you know, having friends come up to me even and, and saying, hey, I, you know, I want to I want to uh, get a have a fancy dinner for my girlfriend tonight, you know. And I would just set the time. I pretty much you know told them, well, just come around seven thirty and. And I'd try to sell as many as I could during the day talking to folks. Um, I was also selling seeds through Agora Seed Exchange and offering the and offering the steaks. And then I would just do one dinner in the evening. And that was it, man. And it was a lot of fun. I'm sure I'm going to do it next year. Let's talk about Agora Seeds a little bit. In my, uh, in my Friday talk at Pork Fest, I wore the T-shirt for Agora Seeds. And I wanted to uh, be sure and get some advertising out for you guys because what you're uh, what you're doing is really important. A seed exchange, you know. I mean, this is so basic. Without seeds, humans die. I mean, it's about like that. You know. I know we can eat rats and we can live off of squirrels and stuff if we have to, but uh, but life without good seeds is going to be pretty difficult. And you guys have well, a really well- really cool seed exchange there. Thanks. You know, you said, well, we could eat squirrels and, and, and some of these other animals, but what would they be eating? You know, if, if uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, they do eat wild and they forage for wild, um, you know, wild plants and whatnot. But, um, and yeah, I think it's really important. It, it, you know, I guess it was summer last year. Um, you and I just kind of started talking. We were doing the, uh, we, we did a raw milk uh, lemonade sale on the Capitol lawn. Right. And we teamed up with a lot of food activists, and um, and that's how I really started getting into this, and just and I started learning a little more about you know the, the dangers of GMO, um, and and which you know for the record I really have no. 
problem with technology and 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 with what some of these you know the techn what the te what technology brings us, but but uh, it's really the patent rights that are being enforced. You know, like with Monsanto, for instance, is that really is what really bothers me. And you know, and we don't know about GMO. We we just you know we've seen what it does to rats, and it, and it causes tumors in them and makes them sterile. And um, so I, I just started to learn more about that and, and realized, wow, you know, these heirloom seeds, you know, I guess there used to be all types of, of different um, breeds of corn. There were thousands of breeds of corn at one time. And uh, those are extinct now because of these large uh, agricultural companies um, changing our food and, and really making it not as nutrient dense as it once was. You know, it's not the food. The food that we're eating now is not the food that our grandparents were eating. Yeah, uh, wheat is a good example of that. The wheat that we eat now is so remotely different from the wheat that was being grown like fifty years ago. That uh, and if you look at if the if you look at the number of people who are now uh, don't have a toleration for uh, uh, wheat products uh, compared to what they were fifty years ago, there's a dramatic difference. There's a lot of intestinal problems that people are having that can be tied into. Uh, to the newer strains of wheat that that's being pushed on the market and from the consumer's point of view because these big companies have monopoly interest given to them by the government and because they have such huge farm subsidies and everything there's very little that the consumer can do about it other than essentially you know grow your own and really be picky about what you get on the market connect with a farmer talk to a farmer uh, get into a co-op of some kind it's it's going to be it's important now but it's going to be really important in another couple of years i think it is i th you know what i'm doing i feel like is is really softening the blow for what i think is going to happen um i i think a lot of people are going to be very hungry ben um i think that the state is going to collapse and uh i think that um a lot of people are going to be starving so i'm just kind of trying to soften the blow with some of the activism I'm doing now with with the seeds and trying to encourage people to to grow their own gardens and and to start reaching out to their local farmers and creating those connections now I'm trying to create those connections between my friends those in the liberty community and and, and with those that are that are farmers in our in our local communities you know because we're you know we're going to rely on them and we're going to even have to probably protect them. Um, and so I, I think it's vital. If if our body is not nourished, you know, how are we going to carry out activism on the streets or or what or even be able to sit up at the computer and do what we do um, if we're sitting in a hospital bed and and sick? Yeah, let me wander into my survivalist side just a little bit here, and and maybe you know uh, if the listeners can just kind of tolerate some radicalism just for a moment here. Um, let's have a worst case scenario that's that's maybe not, you know, a not a, a, a asteroid into the earth into the world type thing, but just something simple like a truck driver strike that could take place. Let's say, uh, you know, any any number of things could happen, but but let's just say a truck driver strike takes place at exactly the wrong time of the year, and the seed deliveries don't happen when they're supposed to. And the corn and the wheat uh, uh, and the soy, which in America, almost everything that big agri grows is corn, wheat, and soy. And so if something happened to interrupt any aspect of that cycle for one season, 
Now, there are a lot of reserves. There's a lot of stuff in reserve. The, the, between the government storage and between uh, individual company storage, there's a lot of food in reserve. But um, a lot of that is uh, designated to go overseas. And, you know, we would have to really trust these massive corporations and the government to feed Americans first. And uh, if you think back to something like what happened in the Ukraine in the 1930s, where a large group of people became cumbersome to the Soviet Union, and so they just, uh, they just cut off the food supply for one season, for one winter, and it wiped out millions of people. It happened so fast, even though you think, well, it's a whole winter, you could just move or whatever. Yeah, but they locked down the highways. You can't, get, you can't move around without permission to move on the highways. So it literally isolated in, U, in the Ukraine. It isolated millions of people to starve to death over that, over that winter. And if something like that happened in the U.S., if, if there was some type of a, um, uh, 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 an emergency that created a shortage, I'm not fully confident that major corporations and the government in Washington, D.C. Would, um, would bend over backwards to make sure Americans get fed before that food goes on out for some kind of trade you know, deal with China or whatever. And something like that could be devastating. But if you've got a connection to a local farmer, then that, it's a game changer. It, it, it changes the whole play of the game. Well, that's right. Um, you know, I think it's two highways that lead into New Hampshire. Um, you know, New Hampshire is a cold uh, environment. Uh, you know, for for a lot of for a lot of the time of the year. But um, if 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 those you're right, if if those highways were cut off, um, how would folks survive? You know, if they don't have their own garden or if they're not connected with their own farmer. You know, they say eighty percent of the grocery store. Uh, the foods in a gro- in the grocery store, eighty percent of them um, didn't even exist. So uh, it goes to show that you know our, our our grandparents, you know, really grew up eating real food, raw food, um, not processed food. And uh, if they can, you imagine if if the pioneers, you know, in the old days had to uh, had to live off of the food that's offered now, they would have never made it across the Rockies. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. You know, it's you know it's it's interesting that you um, that you brought up that uh, uh, there's a lot of food that's designated for overseas. You know, there's a story that uh, just broke a, a couple of weeks ago about a raisin farmer in California. Oh yeah, yeah. Who, there's this old law. I think it's from the Truman administration. You heard about this then, right? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, tell the story though. This 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 law from I think it was the Truman administration. Well, it allows for the federal government to take a portion of raisin farmers' crop. They don't pay for it, and they can actually sell it overseas. So, so this, this farmer, go ahead. I was just going to say this is like something out of a you know some kind of biblical tale where the Pharaoh comes and just takes what he wants from your field or something. It really is, and it's not. You know, there's there's no reparations for it. I mean, it, it's just literally stolen from them. And well, this farmer, uh, he said no, and for night, I think it was 19 years, he uh, hasn't been paying tribute to Caesar or to Pharaoh. 
And now they're coming at him for about a million dollars and, and of course, imprisonment. And, you know, uh, a lot of these farmers are working on a shoestring budget anyway, uh, especially the ones that are not within. You know, I don't know uh, specifically if there are any farm subsidies for uh, raisin farmers or not. But for a lot of farmers, if you're not into wheat, soy, corn, uh, you know, sugar cane, there's a, there's a very small pocket of things there that are subsidized, uh, cotton, I believe. And if, and if you're not, uh, oh, and rice, if you're not growing those things, then there's a good possibility you're getting no farm subsidies at all. So you're competing with other people, other farmers, for resources like tractors and stuff like that that they can afford easier because they're getting farm subsidies and you're not. So it, it distorts. That's right. Yeah. It the dis- big ag. It's the big ag. Um, these big ag in- industries and farms um, are, are a real challenge for the, for this, the, the small local farmer, Ben. That's why, you know, I'm starting to uh, – I've been working for um, a guy named Mark Baker who is a pig farmer in Michigan. And he, you're not going to believe what they did in Michigan. The, the Department of Natural Resources issued an invasive species kill order for wild pig. And Ben, you know me. I, I I hunt, so I mean, I know that wild pigs in Texas and Florida—they're a real problem, and they need to be taken out. They're very destructive to farmland. So, but the problem is, Mark Baker has has a certain type of pig. Ben, it's called a Mangalista pig, and it happens to have hair on it. And some of their ears are erect, some of their ears are floppy, some of their tails are curly, and some of their tails are straight. And these pigs, which are heritage breed pigs, which produce a kind of a red meat that a lot of these fancy restaurants want, a lot of these really uh, high-end chefs, you know, they want, you know, these heirloom vegetables and they want this, this particular type of, of meat this, that this pig produces. Well, the, natural, the Department of Natural Resources issued the invasive kill order and their description of what they're calling a wild pig or a feral pig, they're saying that this man, Mark Baker, and his heritage pigs, they're saying that they fall under the kill order and they ordered him to kill his pigs in 2011, which he refused to do. Now, they, went around to his, they went around to his restaurants and threatened the restaurants that he was doing business with and forced them to, to sever ties with him. So he's struggling in that way. His pig business is probably ruined. So he's trying to start a private buying club where he'll sell his pigs. But, but it's devastating what the state's doing, and they're carrying this out for the big pork lobby for big ag. Yeah, if they really had the best interest of the public in mind, they would have sent a guy out, and he would have looked, and he said, oh, oh, oh I see, these are not wild pigs. These are, you know, uh, a free, they're free-range pigs, but they're within fences. He takes care of them. He feeds them and everything like this, and, and, he, and he harvests them and everything in the traditional pig farming method, not in those uh, corporate little stalls where one pig eats the excrement of the pig directly in front right. of it. And, they, they call those CAFOs, yeah. confined animal feeding operations. They chop the, uh, they chops, they chop the, um, the tails off of the pigs. Because they're in such a stressful condition, they, they turn to cannibalism. Yeah, they'll eat the tail because off the pig just, in front of them. Exactly. And, and they're just being fed GMO corn 
um, which we've seen is destructive to, to rats. And they're pumping them. The living conditions are so putrid that they have to pump them with antibiotics just to keep them alive. And they, they don't, they've released a number, and I don't know the exact number, but there's thousands of pigs that actually show up at the slaughterhouse dead. Yeah. Yeah, Already they, and, dead from sickness. And I've talked to people that worked at chicken slaughterhouses, and they basically say, yeah, they, you know, you just grab the chicken, you cut the tumors off, and you send it on down the line. And that's how they do in these big meat production things. They don't care that the, that the meat is diseased. Yeah, it, it's, it's sad. And, and, you know, I just I wish I knew what I, what I know, you know, what I know now. I wish I had known at one time, but, you know, years, years ago. And, but uh, I'm still new to the whole food movement. And, and it's, it's an exciting uh, journey for me so far. So, so what they did to this farmer was they ordered him to kill his his livestock. I mean, this he made a living doing this, growing these heritage pigs specifically for, for this market of people who wanted that kind of heritage food and wanted the more premium cuts and were willing to pay extra for it because it, it takes a lot more work to grow pigs that way, to raise pigs that way. And But he was successful doing it. Now, they could have come out if they really cared about the consumer and if they cared about, you know, what the if they cared about any of the things that they lie and say they care about, then they could have come out and looked at his farm, and they could have obviously saw what his operation was, and they could have given him a waiver for it, but they didn't. They refused to co- to cooperate with him, and they instead used the courts to try to force him to kill his pigs. Is that about the uh, a recap of it? Well, yeah, but it even gets even worse, Ben. Um, the Department of Natural Resources now went to the Attorney General and asked that he, Mark Baker be sued $10,000 for each pig. They estimated that he has 70 pigs. They're wanting $700,000 from him, and they're threatening him with felonies and with prison. In addition to threatening the restaurants that he used to do business with. Correct. So um, I went up to the farm uh, a few weeks ago and uh, for a fundraiser. We held a fundraiser um, to try to get some money. Like we were just talking about, it's, it, his pig business is done and, and, it's, and, the, and the farm is you know, close to collapsing. So um, we've raised qu- quite a bit of money for him. We're still trying to raise money for him. Um, and he's trying to get more into poultry and raw milk because um, he's, he's realized that they've just pretty much devastated his pig business. Uh, he did have five breeder boars that he actually did shoot. There were five of them. He had five of them that were, you know, and he looked at the cost of having to feed them and the fact that he can't breed them anymore. He, he couldn't afford to have any more pigs. So he was basically forced to uh, to have to put those down. And farmers all across Michigan took out their whole livestock, um, even some of the hunting, uh, game hunting uh, ranches, the exotic game ranches that, that offer um, uh, wild pigs as well to go out and shoot and you can mount it or whatever um, they were forced to kill a lot of their pigs in fact Ted Nugent uh, did an interview with with Glenn Beck because Ted Nugent himself was forced to take down some of his livestock but because of this invasive kill order wow it's a shame somebody with a, with a voice um, that big uh, and he can see you know aspects of what's wrong with it, but but I, I hate to pick on poor old Ted Nugent, but 
you know, he has such a limited brain and he has such a limited vista in his in his vision that he he still clings to this to the evilness of the state as being the answer. Well, he sits there and watches the atrocities that the state does. It's amazing. It is amazing. You know, um, it's funny, you know, we went to the hearing a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, the DNR will not offer a, a definition of what they're calling a feral pig. Now, the, and, and the definition of a feral pig is... is is a an animal that was domesticated that's been released out into the wild and, and becomes wild again. And the DNR, during this hearing, uh, we, we, we asked again, we asked the DNR to define what feral was, and they refused to do it. So we, the attorney cited the, the definition of it. And, and, you know, like I said before, the DNR is saying that any pig, a pig with floppy ears, a pig with hair, a pig with erect ears, a pig with straight tail, or a pig with a curly tail. So it's whatever they <laughs> want to dictate that they can take out. So, you know, if, if they see this small farmer that's providing quality food that's, you know, maybe a threat to them, they just try to just they use the power of the state to just squash them. And and that really, you mentioned a minute ago, but we're talking about the power of corporations that work hand-in-hand hand with the government to make sure there's no competition, to make sure that they squish the little, the little producers and make sure that they maintain their monopoly in the marketplace. And they use government to do that with. And it's this marriage between government and business that... You know, in the olden days, they used to call it mercantilism. Nowadays, the more accurate phrase for it is uh, um, national socialism or um, uh, uh, fascism. And that's exactly the system that we have in the United States. And it's not new. Actually, this goes back to the 30s. The, the government was doing this with farmers or two farmers, I should say. The government was doing this to farmers back in the 30s. But so many people didn't notice you know we didn't have the internet we didn't have all the communications and so people didn't see the oppression that was taking place but i i worked with an old guy when i was 19 i got a job and i and they stuffed me in with this old guy i was a welder's assistant and he was a welder and he would tell he would tell me stories during our lunch break and stuff of working during the great depression and uh you know trying how how hard it was to get a job and he uh, was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and had actually just been bumming around and hadn't really eaten right in a long time. And he, and he found out that they were hiring people uh, for a government job. So he went down to apply. They gave him the job. And the job was shoveling live pigs into a, uh, a big uh, furnace. They had, they had paid uh, pork farmers all around southern Ohio and northern Kentucky to turn in their pigs so that they could try to drive the price of the of pork up because during the depression this was one of the things that the government tried to do to offset the depression so the government's buying pigs from all the farmers buying up their whole livestock of pigs taking them up to Cincinnati in rail cars and the guys are shoveling the 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 baby pigs they separated out the small ones from the big ones the big ones they just killed and then they would throw them in, you know, dead. But the baby pigs were all running around in the in the in the box cars. They were shoveling them out with snow shovels and throwing them live into the uh, uh, into the incinerator. 
And he said he did that for a couple hours, and he began throwing up, and he couldn't stop, and he had to just walk away and leave the job. He, he decided it was better to starve to death than to work that job and continue doing it. But this was That's happening. Boring. Yeah, and that was happening in the 30s. And that's the face of government. And that's, you know, uh, to a certain extent, it backed off a little, but we're right back to there now. You know, it's, it, this is the kind of way that these people think, that, that they can justify behavior like this uh, because of these collectivist ideas and so forth. But, uh, man, anyway, I better let you talk for a minute. You're the guest. Wow. Well, that's why I support a lot of these sustainable farmers that are into this free-range um, farming because it's 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 a much more humane system, you know. Um, in this last weekend, or when I was up at Baker's Green Acres, Mark's farm there, he held a demonstration of butchering a pig from the very beginning, and you know, as a hunter, when I deer hunt or when I'm I'm going to shoot a pig. You don't want your game to to um, be stressed out. You don't want you don't want a bad kill shot. You don't you want the animal to die instantly because when an animal feels stress and the adrenaline pumps, it creates an acid, a type, some type of acid that uh, flushes over the muscle, mm-hmm. and it basically ruins the meat. So. The most, you know, if you want your meat to taste better, you want it taken out humanely very quickly. So, you know, for the demonstration, we followed his 16 his year old son. We went out to the pigs, and these pigs are not wild. They came right up to the fence, and his son with a 22 shot one of the pigs right in the head in a perfect spot and dropped it. You know, that pig's whole life had a pretty good life. He was running around in a free-range area, uh, eating grass, you know, rooting for grubs and, and, and all of that, and, and still getting a, a good uh, feed also, a non-GMO feed supplemented in there. He had a great life. He had room to run around and, and you know, play and wrestle and, and, and fight with his brothers. And, and you know, and then until its final day, it had, you know, maybe two seconds, and I don't even know if it even knew what happened as soon as it happened, you know? It kicked its legs for two two seconds, and it was over. Yeah. So it's a much more humane wet system of dealing with these animals. It's only right. But, you know, these CAFO farms, these factory farms, it's ironic, but, I mean, it's almost, it's a microcosm of what's happening with us in the state and how they farm us. Yeah. You know, they provide us with health care, provide us with training but then they pump us up with all kinds of uh, you know they're feeding us crap and but then then they're using big pharma to try to cover it up it's the same thing as these animals and these capos you know being injected with antibiotics to stay alive and in, in, in the sick putrid conditions that they're in that that's a perfect comparison you know i'm thinking of the uh, in that movie the matrix how they're all just plugged into the into things sitting in there in their pods of sauce just you know, existing, that's pretty much the ideal condition that the state would have us in if it, got, if it had its way. I, I believe that. I mean, you know, I was just reading the other day, I'm sure you know about this, the, um, I guess there were, the U.S. government was injecting some uh, people in South America with STDs and doing studies on them. Yeah, yeah, I've read about that. <laughs> I mean, the things that they do, Ben, it's, 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just, I, I, you know, my earlier activism, I focused a lot on the police state and, you know, and, and butting heads with them. And, man, I just don't think that's the way to go anymore. I, I'm trying to become more agorist and, 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 you know, I don't know, just try to concentrate on, on keeping ourselves fed and, and the positive aspects of, of what we're achieving. Hey, Eddie, before we go to this, uh, this break, um, tell folks how they can donate to the Baker Farm if they want to. Oh, sure. They can go right to Baker's Green Acres. Um, it's bakersgreenacres.com, and uh, they can go right to that. Wait, let me make sure that it's .com. I'm horrible. Yeah, and I'll put a I'll put a, a link in today's show notes for that also, so that they won't get con- so nobody will get confused. You know, actually, Ben, folks can go to Pledgy. It's P L E D G I E, and it and it, they can go there and it's Stand with Baker's Green Acres. So they can just Google that Stand with Baker's Green Acres Pledgy or Pledgy, and uh, and and it'll pop right up in Google for them. So we've got a goal set for $50,000. We're about eight, uh, almost $9,000 away from that. Wow, that's pretty good. If you consider where they were not that long ago, I mean, this is they were really in a, in a bad situation when you guys started the fundraiser for them. Yeah, yeah, I think they had about 3000 in their coffers and, and a few of us um, that are connected with Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, uh, you know, we, we got behind this and started trying to raise funds and got the word out, and it's been really successful so far. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk some more about healthy foods, about uh, working with farms to get healthy foods, and how come, uh, you know, why it's important to do that. Folks, stick with us. We'll be right back. Folks, there's only a finite supply of gold and silver in the world. However, politicians can print paper on a whim forever and ever. Hedge yourself against inflation and a volatile stock market by purchasing gold and silver bullion from Amagai Metals. As inflation gets worse, it will become more difficult to buy gold and silver. So secure your financial freedom today by visiting amagimetals.com. That's A-M-A-G-I-M-E-T-A-L-S dot com. Or you can give them a call at 1-800-882-8496. That's 1-800-882-8496, where financial freedom is yours. And be sure and tell them badquaker.com sent you. Need to talk to people in a secure manner? Liberty Private Network sells phones that will work over any good internet connection and give you military-grade encryption for calls that cannot be tapped. Great for lawyers and clients, business people with trade secrets, or just ordinary folk who don't want their love talk spied on by some scumbag from the central scrutinizer. Call 516-TLK-SAFE on your non-secure phone and tell them the Freedom Fiends sent you. That's 516-TLK-SAFE. And this has been Stone with the Bad Quaker Podcast. Back with me, Eddie Free, uh, uh, activist extraordinaire. Now, Eddie, when it comes, and I'm not just saying this to you know to fluff your ego because I got you on the show. I say this kind of stuff about you all the time. Uh, You're not only a friend; you're like one of the people in in the movement that um, that stands out as somebody who 
you know, um, you're right there at the forefront of almost uh, whatever the cutting edge thing is that's going on right now. You can look and you're going to see Eddie Free there leading it. You, you know, uh, you, Eddie is not the one that's chasing around whatever the latest thing is. He's the one out in front. He's the one that you're going to see the face uh, right out there doing the heavy lifting and stuff. And Eddie, I really appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you taking the risks. And, you know, just just throwing your body into this and with all the hard work and everything. I really appreciate that from you. You're too kind. Thanks, Ben. I, I wish I was young enough and, and had, you know, uh, a lot more enthusiasm than I have. And I wish I could be out there with you doing that kind of stuff. But uh, but I'm with you in spirit anyway. Well, thanks. Yeah, and, and I know that, Ben. Um, you've always been great about promoting um, the events that we're doing and uh, really giving me insight uh, that, I, that, I, that I don't see um, when, when we start some of these events. You know, uh, last year when we did the raw milk, uh, I think we did an interview, and uh, you went into the etymology of, of milk and where it comes from, and it was just fascinating. And, you know, I was just sold on your show after uh, just listening to a few episodes and getting to meet you and talk to you. So it's been great. Yeah, uh, that the milk issue, you know, it, we're not focusing on it so much this year like like everybody was last year, but uh, but it's still there. You know, we, we we had the the fun and the honor and the and the pleasure uh, when when all of us in the Bad Quaker crew, uh, there was actually let's see how many one two three four five five of us in the Bad Quaker Quaker crew that went up to Porkfest and hung around in New Hampshire and Vermont and stuff, and we were able to get you know, uh, raw milk and raw cheese. And it was just so cool. You can't, it's really, you can get that stuff in Ohio, but you have to jump through hoops. If you don't actually mm-hmm. know if you're not part of a co-op or if you don't know an Amish farmer or something like that, it's kind of difficult. Um, now, you- yeah, I, I, I joined a private buying club then. So, um, it, which is ridiculous that we have to do this here. It, it's illegal to buy raw milk, um, in, in DC. It's, it's illegal to cross the, the DC line and the Maryland line. Um, and, you know, the private buy-in club that, we, that we're a part of, you know, um, <laughs> there are multiple drops in D.C. So it doesn't matter that the state's going to try to regulate what we're going to eat or the FDA. You know, we're going to get what we want. So, you know, there's even a, there's a drop right by the Capitol. You know, there's another drop, you know, that I go to that's close to my work. So, and, and, there's, and there's hundreds of these drops, you know, across the country. So it's happening whether the FDA and the state, you know, don't want it to and they're trying to crack down on it. Well, you know, they keep on growing. These co-ops are all getting bigger and bigger and it's it's catching on fire. This is, uh, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about this in different ways, but this is how you kill the state. This is how the, it, the state having a revolution and shooting people. Um, that's just the way to bring in more oppression, and it's never worked in the past. Thousands of years, that's been tried over and over and over. But the way to kill the state is to just do what you're going to do, and in spite of what the state says, in spite of what government says, in spite of what all the authority says, you just go right under the radar and you do it anyway. And when enough people begin to do that, the state... Uh, the whole concept that, that I'm talking about, the you know that that thought, the belief in the state, will become uh, a relic, a thing that people talk about in the past sense, like it used to matter, and then all of a sudden it won't matter. It'll be gone. It'll be dead. And it really is that simple. 
Um, and and if the you know if the government you, we we uh, growing up we're told well oh, drugs are bad that's why the government is fighting drugs that's why we have a war on drugs well explain milk then explain raw cheese why is why we have a, a war against Amish farmers who wouldn't harm anybody under any circumstances and yet we have SWAT raids uh, attacking. Amish farmers' property, attacking Amish farmers, throwing them to the ground, handcuffing them. And this is only going to escalate. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And yet, no matter how bad it gets, just like you're saying, more and more people are going to just walk right under the beast's nose and make a drop-off point, and an exchange is going to be made, and some money is going to be transferred back and forth. And we're going to live our lives no matter what the government rules say. That's right. Um, Vernon Hirschberger is a dairy farmer in Wisconsin that I was working to promote his issues with the state. Uh, the state of Wisconsin uh, banned him from, from selling his food. He had a buying, private buying club. He had 30-some-odd families that needed food. The state came to his farm. They raided his farm. They put tape across his fridge and uh, ordered him not to give out the food. And this man, he, he, was, uh, he was an Amish man, but he had left the Amish community. Um, you know, he, he chose what was right. He, he, and he opened that fridge and he fed those families that he felt obligated to feed. Well, he went to court and we had a huge success, Ben. The, uh, he was charged with, uh, he had three different charges and he was found guilty of one of them. And that was um, uh, breaking the band, violating the, the hold order that they had put on his food. And uh, the other charges they dropped. Well, in this court case, the word liberty could not be used. The word raw milk could not be used. And private buying club could not be used. The jury could not hear those words. Well, after he was found not guilty on two charges, uh, two charges, and, and found guilty of the of the violating the ban order, there was a thousand dollar fine, which was instantly paid by the members of his private buying club. And uh, but then um, the state wanted to go ahead and put him in jail for it because there, there was, a, I think, a one year penalty uh, of of jail of a jail sentence. And um, this judge had never experienced receiving letters from a jury saying that they wanted to change their vote on the guilty order. Wow. That they felt they were angered because they, after the, after the hearing, they had read all how they weren't allowed to hear the word raw milk, how they weren't allowed to hear the word liberty. Um, or actually they knew about liberty because that was said in the courtroom um, by accident. And, and, and the judge was ordered them not to say it. Um, but they were angered. These jurors were angered. And a couple of them even ended up joining Vernon Hirschberger's private buying club. Wow. We're winning, Eddie. It may not seem like it, but we're winning. Yeah. You know, I know that the state, you know, as the resistance grows, that, 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 that you know, they're going to ratchet up, uh, you know, their, their, their police state. And yeah, I mean, I think we have to be, we have to remain opt optimistic for sure. You know, I think that it's going to get ugly, but then I think uh, it, it's going to be it, it, we're going to find peace eventually. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize again how important it is to connect with local farms and connect with uh, co-ops and that kind of thing. 
there's a uh, uh, there's another f- uh, farm uh, organization that you were telling me about earlier too. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're, they're um, in Virginia, right? They are, and um, I met them because uh, they they were helping with the Vernon Hirschberger trial. Um, they were helping him with counsel. You know, these lawyers aren't for free. Well, um, the organization is the uh, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, and uh, they basically came out of what's called the Weston A. Price Foundation that lays out uh, what they feel are the real dietary guidelines that we should be following. Um, so, uh, and, and that's what they do. They defend farmers that are that are um, being attacked by the state, uh, whether it's through regulation or raids, um, uh, hold orders or whatnot. So, um, in fact, we've we've got another fundraiser that we're doing actually for Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund at um, Polyfarm, which or Polyface Farm, which is Joe Salatin. He's a famous sustainable farmer. Um, we're having a fundraiser there, and then uh, we're also doing a Bacon Palooza where these uh, popular paleo chefs are going to make appetizers using bacon, and they're competing. And uh, it's going to be a really cool weekend. It's a two-day festival with uh, three big events, and we're doing that in September. So I'm excited about that. How can folks find out about that if they uh, might even have a chance to go to it? Um, well, they can uh, easily just go right to farmtoconsumer.org, farmtoconsumer.org. And they can just go right to that main page, and, and they'll see, uh, what is it? Save your bacon weekend, and so it's it's going to be really cool. So I'm looking forward to it. And this is kind of you know uh, more and more people are learning about paleo diet and learning about you know uh, more healthy foods and stuff like that. And uh, it's it's almost I hate to say it's mainstream. It's not really, but it's but there's so many people that are finding out about it. And I've yeah. wandered in and out of the paleo diet, and I've wandered in and out of you know, avoiding uh, uh, processed, different processed foods like sugar and flour and things. And um, it it makes me feel a lot better, and I start losing weight right away when I start mm-hmm. going in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, You're I don't You're seeing a the, lot of the paleo. You're seeing a lot of the paleo and, and liberty movement kind of merging together and creating a synergy. Yeah, a, a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's... That's really exciting, and and yeah, more people are waking up. Like these Joe Salatin uh, events, uh, he spoke at a, a Young Americans for Liberty event um, about six or seven months ago. So I, they're definitely merging together, and he's a self-proclaimed libertarian as well. Yeah, and, and more and more, you know, I think a lot of these people. We think back to like the seventies and stuff when there was a lot of health food. Uh, type people that were mostly on the left, um, and but as time has passed, more and more of those people are seeing that really, you know, if, if the 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 freedom to grow what you want to grow and to eat what you want to eat and to buy the kind of foods that you want to buy, um, that's it's it's not so much a left right issue as it is an issue of freedom. And that's, that's exactly right. I, I see I see Obama stickers at some of these events. Yeah, you know, and I give them a totally different perspective. You know, when I actually sit down and talk with them, you know, and just try to show them. You know, that's the one thing I, that's that's kind of hard to understand is, 
you know, these people are really concerned about the way these animals are treated and about, you know, these big ag, these big corporate farms. And, but they're coming at it from a left perspective and they just don't see that it's the state that's creating the problem. I think, you know, let me jump back to something you were talking about with pigs uh, a little bit earlier. I was at, um, you, you know, Mark Edge from Free Talk Live. I, I know you're friends with him. And uh, I was at Mark Edge's house, and he's got a nice big uh, area that's fenced off for his pigs to, uh, to run and play in and eat and wallow around and just have fun. And so while, while I was there with Mark uh, talking to him, we spent probably half an hour, 45 minutes just standing there watching the pigs play. And pigs are like, um, especially when you get six or eight or ten of them together and they have a lot of room to move around, you can tell that they just really enjoy life. They they play. They're they're like they're like dolphins with legs, you know. Yeah, um, they're very intelligent animals. Yeah, and they're almost goofy at times. The the you can see the excitement in them, and they're running back and forth. And when Mark had an occasion to get over into the pasture with them and walk around, and they they practically were thrilled to have him in there, running around him and just following him around where he went and stuff. And you contrast that to. Uh, you know, um, we kind of already described what it was like for pigs in the corporate world where in, in where they uh, can them all together in those cages and everything. And this, the same thing goes across the board. Uh, like I mentioned, I've talked to people in the chicken industry that talked about how the conveyor belts would drag the live chickens up and dump them into a truck alive. And the numbers of broken legs and broken wings that, that come out of this is just tremendous. But they, but they don't care. They just truck them on down to the slaughterhouse, and they have to ride in the truck in that condition with broken legs and broken wings until they get there, and then they feed them into the machines that, that kill them and, and take their feathers off and everything. And it's just a horrible, um, inhumane process of, of slaughter. But the farmer, in the traditional method, um, it's not like that at all. It's really more of a, a matter of respecting the animal, treating the animal right, and this relationship between the farmer and the animal when it comes time for the animal to give up its life to feed the farmer. Um, you know from hunting that there's a real close relationship between the hunter and the prey. And like you said, there is no desire for the prey to suffer. You want the thing to be over as quickly as possible. You want a single shot with a drop. You want to, you know, you, you want to be able to, rem like with a bow hunting, you want a shot that's going to be able to remove as much blood from the animal as quickly as possible so that it doesn't have any more trauma that it has to have and it can just drop to its knees and the thing is over right there. And, and you appreciate when, when the death of the animal that, that, that is going to feed you, when you have that kind of a relationship with, um, with your food, it changes the way you think about food. And it's no longer just a packet of something that comes from the grocery store, you know. Um, you, you appreciate the life. Well, that's exactly right. And, I mean, just with hunting, I, you know, I, I started an organization... Um, I started an organization called the Benevolent Order of Agorist Hunters, where I wanted to bring out the ideas of, of um, agorism and hunting and the fact that, you know, in a, in a true free society, if we had private property, you know, uh, 
resources, farmers, property owners, landowners are going to protect the resources. And uh, there wouldn't, we wouldn't need the state to regulate, you know, how many animals that uh, a particular hunter can harvest. Well, you have appreciation for the animals uh, when it's like that. When, when, when there's no ownership, especially if you're hunting and it's out in the wild and there's no ownership for it, you get a lot more poaching. You get a lot more people who just go out for the sport of shooting the animal and then they don't do anything you know, with the with the meat afterwards, and um, because there's no appreciation, there's no ownership for it. But well, yeah, it's the tragedy of the commons. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But when you have ownership of the property, and that that was something when you were talking about the um, uh, the areas up in Michigan that had to kill their pigs, kill the wild pigs off, even though they made a living letting hunters come in and harvest those pigs. They still had to go out and kill the pigs and wipe out part of their business. It, it well, and the solution is so simple, you know, private ownership, private property uh, of everything, and no common property, no uh, no government owned land, no government owned. Because the way it the way it is right now, let's say you own a, a hundred acres. Um, technically speaking, you don't own the wildlife on that hundred acres. The government does. Because they'll tell you when you can shoot them, when you can harvest them, when you can't, uh, how many you can take, how many you can't. And it changes from state to state. And some states are, you know, a lot more cooperative than other states about that. But ultimately, the, the concept that the government can tell you how many animals that you can kill and what animal you can kill and what you can do with it and things like this goes all the way back to the Magna Carta when in those days you could be uh, hung for killing a deer because uh, there's a possibility that deer may have at some point, um, you know, been on the king's land. And though even though the deer's on your land now, you can't harvest it because it belongs to the king. And that was one of the issues in the days of the Magna Carta that they were willing to, they were threatening to kill the king over this, among other things. And even all wow. these years now, we're still fighting with the state over the same concepts. There was... There was a man, a young man in Texas, who a dove had flown into the side of his house and died. Well, he walked outside, he found the dove, and he cooked it up and ate it, and he posted about it on his blog. And the state of Texas, um, Parks and Wildlife, came down on him, and I don't know what ended up, ended up happening, but they were threatening to find him. For for eating that animal, wow. they started. They threatened to fine him for not having a hunting license, permission from the king, and for, uh, I guess, killing it, cooking it up, um, out of season. Or it happened when it was out of season. There's a particular season for dove. Wow. And if you shoot them outside of that season, uh, you can get a felony. Or if you transport, or if you sell the game. So many people. So many people in American society take these things for granted and they just assume that somehow the government has the right to do these things, to make these laws and to make these arbitrary decisions. You know, these pigs can be killed. Those pigs can be kept alive. You can kill that bird. You can't kill that bird. You can hunt over here. You can't hunt over there. You can use this particular caliper of, uh, of weapon over here, but you have to use a black powder over there. And, and so many people don't think about this. They just, they just think, oh, well, it must be for our own benefit, and they never question authority at all. But it's almost never for our benefit. These, these rules and regulations are almost always uh, 
special interest for somebody who has the money to get the law passed. It's funny you say that because um, they passed a law with the buckshot used on waterfowl. You cannot shoot lead at waterfowl. You have to shoot steel. So you're going out and you're paying more for the steel shot, which isn't as heavy. So they're trying to create you know, other type of metals that are heavy, like tungsten, but it's very expensive. But they were saying that this lead shot was causing the, the, the birds to get lead poisoning. They would go down to the bottom of the water. You know, as the buckshot fell into the water, the, living, the birds that survived, you know, of course, would go down and eat, thinking that they were seeds. And they were saying, oh, well, they're being poisoned with lead. So uh, you have to now shoot uh, using steel. You know, in Virginia, in Maryland, in, in, in Pennsylvania, it's illegal to hunt on a Sunday. <laughs> yes. It's illegal to, 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 to gather food for yourself in, through nature, through what you know, was provided for us. It is illegal to hunt animals on a Sunday. That's amazing. There's goofy laws like that in Ohio, specifically about Sunday. Like some stores uh, can sell beer on sun, Sunday, some can't. Some can sell wine, some can't. Some can sell hard liquor, some can't. And it's almost impossible to tell which store you go into because, you know, they can't, like, close off half of a grocery store because, oh, we, today is a special magic day and it's, it's before 9 o'clock or it's before 11 o'clock or whatever the magic number is. So we can't sell beer until after 1 or whatever. Um, but they still have all the beer displayed out. And if you don't know which store is which, you know, you go over, you're going to grab a, a six-pack of beer. It's Sunday morning, and, and you walk over, and you get it all the way to the checkout stand, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't buy that for another half an hour. Well, what's the difference in a half an hour? How could that possibly make sense? You know, but that's these blue laws are like that. Why is Sunday magic? Well, because somebody believes something, or there's some religious people over here. Well, but if I'm not that religion then how does my actions affect them? There's, there is absolutely no logic to connect these things together. It's all based on control and what one narrow little group is willing to push for and what one greasy politician is, is, is willing to sell his soul to, uh, for another election to, you know, uh, and, and pass silly laws like that. And that's what they're all based on, whether we're talking about anti-milk laws or anti-drug laws or, you know, at times even how fast the speed limit is through a neighborhood. Uh, I could really go off on that one for a while, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, so could I. <laughs> I was so tempted today to, to grab my poster board and marker and stand out at a, uh, at, a, at a speed trap I saw today. And I thought, wow, well, i got other obligations, you know. But I, yeah, I just see those things more and more. <laughs> Well, um, I had a real good time talking to you, Eddie. Hey, thanks, Ben. So did I. I always have a good time talking to you, though. Um, and uh, let's see. I don't know. You're probably not going to make it to the Michigan, to the, uh, what's it called, the Midwest um, Peace and Liberty Festival? You're, you're I don't think so. I, I was just up there, and uh, Mark Baker has another hearing. It's scheduled for August 27th. Hmm. Um I, I doubt it, it'll happen that soon. There's just so much evidence and, and so many arguments that uh, need to be worked out. So, um, and I'll be back up there for that. So, yeah, what money I have uh, will be spent on me traveling 
um, uh, up to, to Michigan for that particular for that for that trial. Yeah, and that's a limitation on all of us too. You know, um, we we had to uh, pick and choose this year as to which things that we can go to and which that we can't. Uh, Isn't that great that there's so much going on now in the Liberty community? It really is. You know, uh, we've got the Liberta- Libertopia is coming up in like October, I think, in uh, Southern California, in uh, uh, San Diego, and a bunch of people are going down there. We're not going to make it to that either. That's just the distance is way too much. But but there's always just something coming up, uh, in, and people really in different areas. This is great because I remember when there was nothing. There was like, if you want to get together with other liberty-minded people, there's two guys down at the bar, and that's pretty much it, you know? But, yeah. But more yeah. and more, um, you know, our ranks are swelling. The, the communications are getting better. And uh, I, I'm really feeling good about this. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, can I plug an event that I'm working on before we go? Yeah, Definitely. Well, again, I briefly talked about it. It's Save Your Bacon Weekend, and it takes place in the Shenandoah Valley. Folks can go to Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. It's three events. It's a uh, tour of Polyface Farm, Joe Salatin's Polyface Farm. There's Bacon Palooza, where chefs will be vying for our vote of the best uh, bacon appetizers. And on the following day, there's a whole workshop and seminars on on the paleo diet and uh, the donations for the event will go directly to farm to consumer legal defense fund and they're on the front lines defending these small farmers against the state so a person can come out to that have a lot of fun eat great food and the money goes to a great cause there's no downside to that Absolutely not. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. I went to one last year, had a blast, and so I'm just even more involved in it this year. When is it going to be? It's going to be on September 7th and 8th. Well, I'll be sure and put links in today's show notes for that also. Great. Uh, any- org. Anything else? Or, I'm before- sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. It was It's farm, org. Sorry. Anything else you want to uh, uh, talk about before we go? No, I guess that's it. Um, I will keep people posted. Um, I've got close to 5,000 friends. I've got about 7,000 followers. And I can reach out to um, about half a million people. So uh, I will be letting folks know for sure um, what's coming up next. That's great, Eddie. And once again, I want to thank you for all the hard work you do and your dedication and everything. Thanks, Ben. And thanks for coming back on the show with me. You betcha. Anytime. Just let me know. And that was the interview with Eddie Free. And uh, be sure and follow the links at badquaker.com if you want to find out more about what what Eddie is doing, what he's up to, and the different things that we talked about in the interview. And, folks, thanks for listening today. And remember to visit badquaker.com where liberty is our mission. Thanks a lot, folks. (laughs) 